Support for WERU comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits to strengthen Maine's economy by focusing on education, leadership, and quality of place on the web at maincf.org. Support for WERU also comes from Woodlawn Museum, Gardens, and Park, 180 acres of an estate located near downtown Ellsworth, 667-8671 or woodlawnmuseum.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, money seems to flood into the election process like rivers overflowing into a swamp. Maine was first in the nation to provide a clean election option, allowing candidates to use public funding after demonstrating grassroots support and small contributions. Elements of that law were called into question by the rulings of the Supreme Court. And today we're happy to have some folks in the studio who can talk from real experience about Maine clean elections and where we might go in the future. Happy to welcome back uh, to Talk of the Towns, Ann Luther. Ann is with the Maine League of Women Voters. Welcome to you, Ann. Good morning, Ron. Thanks for having me. And you also have produced programs yourself um, for the league. Yes, I have. Great. Yeah. I'll come back to you and get a little bit more background in, in just a moment. Um, also, um, Senator Edward Youngblood of uh, Bangor is with us in the studio. Welcome to you, Ed. Good morning, and it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Great. And on the phone with us is Jamie McGowan, mm-hmm. who is a professor at College of Atlantic, specializing in, I think you call it polity. Is that right, uh, Jamie? <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. Thanks for having me. But the rest of us call it politics, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I inherited that name. Actually. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but I, I relish in it. So great. great. Well, I'm going to first ask um, Ann for a little bit of background and, and uh, um, just tell us a little bit about the main uh, League of Women Voters and its role. Um, kind of in in this whole dialogue, and and then we'll go to Ed. But well, Ann thank first. you. The League of Women Voters was founded in 1920, right about the time when women got the vote, and um, we've been working on voter turnout, voter registration, voter participation, all those years. But we've also had a consistent history almost from the beginning of taking positions on issues, helping educate people on the issues, and advocating for. Um, not, o- not only social justice issues, a lot of the issues the League worked on originally had to do with child welfare and women's rights, um, uh, professional civil service and other things, but the entire time on issues surrounding political equality, voting rights, um, running campaigns well, um, government corruption, and um, our work today on money and politics is totally consistent with our history of work on issues of political equality. We do a lot of work on voting rights also, 
Um, but the, those are the two central issues that we work on here in Maine. And you you work on issues, but you're nonpartisan. Totally nonpartisan. Right. We never support candidates or political parties. We do take positions on issues, mm-hmm. but not on candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Senator Youngblood, tell us a little bit about your background. You were with Maine Savings Bank for many um, years. Bangor Savings Bank. Bangor Savings Bank. Bank. Bangor Sorry, Savings Bank. Sorry uh, about that, sir. Maine, Maine Savings Bank yep. was that large uh, elephant in the South that uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the, uh, I spent 30 years at Bangor Savings right. Bank. Uh, a lot of community effort uh, throughout what now is my Senate district. And, in fact, ran for the Senate uh, while I was still employed at Bangor Savings Bank. Uh, It was a wonderful experience. Uh, I did it on the basis that there was such a thing called a clean elections program that was just beginning in 2000. Mm. And the whole idea behind all that was to stop big money from taking over our government. Mm. Uh, And... It, it seems that maybe we've not done a great job of doing that because the money in, in involved in today's uh, elections uh, makes what was happening in 2000 uh, seem like a very, very small amount. Mm. Well, uh, we'll talk a little it, bit about the how that um, worked. Um, but you basically had to go around and get um, signatures and, and $5 contributions, and then you got some public support. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. Yes. Uh, in order to qualify, you have to show that with people within your Senate district, they do not have to be from your party, but they do have to be within your district. And to uh, qualify for the money in the Senate, you have to get 175 people Mm -hmm. to make a $5 contribution that says, yes, I support this person, and they ought to be running for this office. And I can imagine that whether the the amount was different, but that's how people ran in the 1800s and the early 1900s, probably all the way up into 1980 or so. You got lots of small contributions. That's absolutely correct. Right. right. Well, I'm going to go to uh, Jamie McCown again at College of Atlantic. And and Jamie, uh, give us some uh, perspective. Uh, You kind of both study and teach about um, how elections are run. Um, Give us some perspective on on how we are doing today and, and where it all came from. Well, I actually, yeah, you're right. I, I spent a lot of time in my areas in American political history, both in terms of campaigning and, and obviously whenever you're talking about political campaigning, both today and historically in the United States, you've got to bring up the you know the topic of money and campaign finance reform. And it's one of those issues that I often, and <laughs> it doesn't always make me friends with, with people from either side of the aisle, but I often say it's an issue where it's not just good enough to have good intentions, because if you look not just in Maine, but particularly throughout the history of the way that at the federal level the U.S. has tried to deal with money in politics. Oftentimes, we've had very good intentions to attempt to limit the power of certain groups to influence political messaging or to potentially corrupt candidates by having to basically buy them. Um, and But sometimes the solutions oftentimes make the situation worse, using your analogy of water flowing. Um, you, it just diverts into another area. And so I think one of the challenges that we talk about when we're discussing uh, how do we want to deal with the money and politics issue is not simply to identify the problems and to say this is something we can, you know, that we don't want to have happening. It's to actually come up with really, I guess, creative ways that are workable that will both uh, limit that influence while also respecting, I think, fundamental principles of free speech and dialogue. And so whenever I it's, it, whenever I'm talking to folks about what a solution or an idea is, one of the things to think about is what does that look like down the road? I think here in Maine, as you were talking about, the since 2000, 
I think the program grew pretty pretty well up until about 2010, um, and then you begin to look at the numbers of uh, legislative candidates who were using the clean election system began to decline, and I think we've seen a small decline in a couple of areas, but in terms of the success, it's been a success, at least at that legislative level. At the governor's level, it's, it's a little different. There's a m- much more mixed story there, but you know, if you think about the number of House members who were running for office or state Senate members that were running for office who were using clean election money to finance their campaigns, there are a lot of folks there that probably would not be able to do it without those clean election finance, mm. you know, without those funds. I mean, they, it would have been impossible for them to do so. And when you combine that with the term limits, I think you have to say that, in general, it's been a success here in Maine, at least on that end. I'm not certain that, you know, it's not simply about keeping the outside money from coming in. We also have to think about the way it empowers candidates to be able to say, you know, I, I can do that. I can run for office. I'm not going to have to, you know, pay out of my own pocket to do that or go beg for money. And I think that's a that's a great thing we don't often as, as focus on um, mm, is the way right. that it's empowering. Right. And um, can you help us? And, and I know that we have um, guests here in the studio and, and we'll have one on later. But um, talk about um, um, the Supreme Court ruling and, and how that kind of fit into how we think about money and politics. Well, if you, there are a couple of them. I mean, and obviously the one that people focus on a lot of Citizens United, though, that one doesn't really necessarily affect the main law. I think the, the main law, uh, the, the ruling that created some problems was a June 2011 ruling based on an Arizona case, the McComish uh, v. Bennett case. And basically, try to put this really quickly, in under the original main kind of structure, there was a, a matching funds provision for if you were a clean election candidate and another candidate was not and was using, you know, for instance, their own personal money and they went over a certain amount, you would then qualify to get a little boost, a little bump, a little extra to help you compensate for that. Now, the court ruling essentially struck that provision down um, as being unconstitutional, and this is the Supreme Court. Their argument, which Again, I personally think the argument's a little problematic. It's a bit of a reach, regardless of what your feeling is about campaign finance reform. But basically, they said this creates a chilling effect. Um, they basically said it's not a restriction on the First Amendment. It's not saying you can't engage in speech. But if the person who is privately financed somehow thought that by spending additional money or by running additional sets of ads, that would then lead to counter speech by the opponent who was getting an infusion of cash from the clean election system, it might discourage the privately financed person from engaging in that speech. Therefore, it is creating a chilling effect. Uh, It's kind of chilling by implication, (laughs) I guess. Uh, So they they struck that provision down. And I think that may be one of the situations that might account for why more recently we're seeing some fewer candidates actually go clean because they're worried that if they're facing someone who is privately financed like this, they will not be able to respond if someone basically goes above and beyond and, and infuses their campaign with a lot of cash. Does that make that a little Yes, that's great. Ann, Ann Luther has a, has a comment here. Well, I just wanted to add a couple of things to what Jamie said that, um, you know, Maine Citizens for Clean Elections was filed an amicus brief brief in the McComish v. Bennett, and because our law had been in place since 2000, by the time the court heard the case, we had a pretty extensive factual record that showed the threat to speech, 
was not on the record. In fact, nobody stopped spending when they hit the trigger point. Everybody just blew right through the trigger point and kept on spending. So the court ruled this um, threat to free speech in the absence of any factual <laughs> record. It was totally and completely theoretical. Um, but it was very clear from the moment that ruling took effect, and then the legislatures failed to make a repair to it when candidates were left without access to additional resources in highly competitive races, it absolutely, from year one, was a direct result in um, a drop in participation to where this year the clean election program is hovering at a participation rate in around the 50% range. Um, before that, it was up in the 85% right. range. So it's made a very clear and marked difference in participation right. in the program. Well, Jamie, before we let you go, um, you interact with um, perhaps some of the next generation of, of folks who might be interested in, in, in serving in public office. What, what kind of questions um, do they pose? Um, are they intrigued by this notion of, of clean elections? What are some of the reactions you sense um, from some of your students? I think, I mean, when I talk to them, the money and politics issue becomes so daunting that they almost feel like they don't have the ability to jump into it. You know, it becomes this barrier, and and, and that's really a shame. I mean, sometimes that barrier is self-imposed, uh, just to be honest. Sometimes I, I say to them, you realize that you can go find this out, you know, that they, they complain they can't find out who's funding elections. And then when you show them, all of a sudden they realize that, okay, maybe that is publicly accessible information in some instances. Or, yeah, there are maybe ways that I can do this. But I definitely think for a young person, you know, maybe out of, just out of college, someone in their 20s, they've got a lot of other considerations in terms of financial considerations. And the notion that they're going to have to go raise money from these sources to, in order to just get started it can be very daunting. I cite someone like Elsie Flemings, for instance, who I know from being here, a graduate of the college, who, out of college, said, you know, I'm going to make this happen. And, and, and really... Uh, I remember when she was going around collecting those qualifying contributions, and that was a really empowering experience, I think, for, for her and I think for other young people who are just stepping foot in it. I mean, one of the things, just to, uh, real quickly before I have to go, to I'm not so certain that the romanticization that we have of the old days in the 19th century, I just want to caution against that because <laughs> there was a much stronger party infrastructure at that time, and parties played a much stronger role in terms of dictating who would be the candidate and how they would get resources. And, and today that's not necessarily the case for good or for bad. And so I think that you know this type of clean funding, again, we often focus on the keeping the bad money out, but I also want to remind folks that one of the advantages of this kind of program is, is that it really is helping provide an opportunity for a whole generation of both Republican, Democrat, Green, Libertarian candidates to to start out, to get started, you know, and, and that's good overall for the state because right. it means there's a bench team there right. of people who want to then eventually go on and, and maybe run for higher office. Great. Well, Jamie, thanks for taking time to be with us on Talk of the Towns this morning. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks. Uh, Jamie McCown of College of Atlantic, a professor in uh, politics and, and uh, <coughs> government. Um, um, Ed, that was your experience, going around and getting these contributions. Uh, it was. I, I think that Jamie's points are very, very well taken there, mm -hmm. that you do not have to be a well-connected individual. You don't have to be a rich individual. You have to have a desire to want to do it, and those are the kinds of mm. representatives that we really want, mm. somebody that really wants to do this. Mm. And the way is there for anyone that is willing to uh, go out, knock on doors, and say, I'm running because, mm. although I did say that to one lady in my first very first <laughs> term in 2000, and she said, 
I don't care why. Come in and sit down. Come in and sit down. <laughs> she said, I don't care why you're running. I want to look you in the eye and see if I can trust you to make decisions for me. And, right, uh, right. So that, and I think if, if people don't go out and have those kind of conversations, um, they enter the game kind of divorced from the people. So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and um, um, we're going to have um, Andy Bossy of, of uh, Maine Citizens for Clean Elections on with us uh, in a short while. But, but um, tell us a little bit more about um, the what you saw happening um, as a result of the Supreme Court ruling. You said that uh, that there was a real drop. Um, were there also factors of of people saying, "Gosh, this is this this race is too important for me to trust that public funding will support me all the way"? And well, I mean, in the fir- in the first. Um, general election after the the McComish v. Bennett ruling, there were some courageous candidates, and there are some running this time who have run with clean elections without taking um, private money, and who have accepted the fact that their distribution is going to be less, and that they're just going to you know try to fight it out. And uh, Senator Dick Woodbury was an independent candidate down in Falmouth. He ran with clean elections in a very competitive race against a privately financed opponent who raised a lot of money. Um, Dick only had his initial distribution, which was not enough. The other guy raised a lot of private money. Dick was the incumbent, and he won anyway. So, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that did happen. But a lot of candidates sort of had to look at the calculus and right. say, I'm going to be in a competitive race. Um, my my opponent is going to raise a lot of money. Um, if I'm not the incumbent, I really don't have a chance um, if I have only that lesser amount of money. And do I want to be in a situation where I only have, let's say, $20,000 in a Senate race, and I know that surrogates and outside spenders are going to spend sixty or $70,000? You know, where is my voice right. going to be right. heard right. In, in that? So I think a lot of people did make the calculation that without those matching funds, the program was not as competitive or useful to them as it had been before, mm. and it was really too bad. Mm. So they made this practical decision, yep. even though their principal would say, yeah. oh, I really would have liked to have do, done it, that. It just wasn't enough. Right. You're, talk, uh, you're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about um, clean elections in Maine, and Luther is with us of the Maine League of Women Voters. Uh, Senator Edward Youngblood of uh, Bangor um, is with us, and on the phone with us is um, Andrew Bossy. Andrew is the Executive Director of Maine Citizens for Clean elections. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Andrew. Thanks so much for having me on, Ron. Um, Tell us a little bit about your organization and its uh, history, and then we'll um, bring uh, our listeners kind of up to speed as to what's in the works now. So Maine Citizens for Clean Elections is a a nonprofit organization that works to reduce the role that uh, big money plays in our politics so we can have a government that's accountable to everyday voters, not campaign donors. We've existed in different uh, forms, I should say, um, since the actual enactment of this law. Um, It was a coalition of groups that came together in the early 90s to uh, combat big money in our politics by authoring uh, the Clean Election Act, and uh, voters went to the polls and enacted this first-in-the-nation law in 1996. We, um, We serve the public interest by advocating and educating the public about the role of money in politics and, and making sure we have reforms that put people first. Mm. And and um, how are you funded? How, how is um, your organization um, supported? So we are funded with, uh, we have over 800 uh, individual donors that support our work here at Maine Citizens for Clean Elections. So we get uh, individual contributions from Mainers um, across the state, and we also get some grant funding to do some of our education work as well. Um, so 
we uh, we try to live up to our name, mm-hmm. which is Maine Citizens for Clean Elections. Great. And um, I hope you were able to listen to the first uh, part of our, our program that, that kind of traced some of the um, experience and so on. Um, where, where's, um, where are we now? Um, wh- wh- what needs to happen to kind of fix um, the, the problems that uh, the, the Supreme Court ruling um, created for Maine clean elections? Yeah, I was able to listen in earlier. Uh, as, as we were talking about, participation in the program is down. Mm. Uh, uh, and uh, what we need to be doing is replacing that matching funds component so candidates in all types of races, competitive or not, can run using the clean election law uh, and, and win and have their voices heard um, so we can have a government that's, that's truly accountable to people. Um, one of the things I wanted to add to earlier is Maine has the most blue-collar legislature out of any state in the country, and that's thanks in large part to a clean election system that allows everyday people to run and win. So what we're working on here now at Maine Citizens for Clean Elections is we are mobilizing to bring back to the public after the failure of the courts to keep our clean elections strong and then, and then uh, a lack of addressing this issue in the legislature, we are mounting a citizen-initiated referendum to once again strengthen the Maine Clean Election Act by replacing that matching funds component. Also included in the legislation we're working to advance is uh, changes to our disclosure laws so we know who's spending to influence our votes um, when it comes to our elections. And we're also increasing the fines and penalties associated with violating campaign finance laws so groups don't um, try to hide their donors right before uh, important votes. And so voters can understand, once again, who's trying to influence their vote. Mm. And so you're mounting a uh, petition uh, drive. Um, You'll have... uh folks collecting signatures in each of all of the the election places that you can. Um, and, and what are the, you asking people to do um, um, as they encounter those petitions? What, what, what do they have to think about? So um, Maine has a process, uh, the, the referendum process, and we need to collect 70,000 signatures from registered Maine voters in order to qualify this referendum for the 2015 ballot. Um, and so at over 200 polling locations this election day, we have volunteers, Maine citizens, um, collecting signatures on these petitions um, to advance this law. So um, what we're looking for is every voter that's concerned about the growing role of money in politics to look for these tables and look for these volunteers um, with an opportunity to sign this, this petition so we can qualify it for the ballot. And if you, um, you know, if you don't see someone at your town um, polling location, contact us, and we can put you in touch with a location where you can sign this initiative. So you don't really necessarily have to agree with the language to sign the petition. You just are signing the petition to give voters a chance to look at it next year, in 2015. That's absolutely correct. We want to have a debate about the role that money is playing in our elections and if we want to fight back. And, and signing this petition allows us to have that conversation. So, um, Senator Youngblood from Brewer, and, and, and Margaret's out there listening, she, she, she'll be glad that we corrected that, I'm sure. You're going to be one of those volunteers in your uh, polling place. Uh, Margaret and I are going to be at the Brewer polls all day long on Election Day. 
to uh, gather signatures. And and why why I mean your your um, piece in the Bangor Daily News maybe that's where I got confused about your hometown. But um, your 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 piece there and your willingness to why why is that so important to you? Uh, this is important not to me. It's important to the people of the state of Maine, mm. and mm. this needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the items that that allowed me to run uh, successfully on three different times have been seriously eroded. Mm. And uh, one who looks at figures and numbers and says, can I do this? What do I need in the way of money? The the first time that I ran, before I said yes, I went back and went online, looked at the financial statements of the person who was held that office for the last three terms and said, this person back in that era had spent Thirty-six to thirty-eight thousand dollars each time to get elected. Mm-hmm. I was going to get twenty mm-hmm. from the clean election program or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. It didn't take a great uh, mathematician to determine if he had that system in place and had successfully raised thirty-five to thirty-eight thousand dollars in his three previous terms. He obviously would do it next time. Mm. I knew going in, so I could plan. Uh, what I would do with those funds, knowing that undoubtedly I would be getting them, and I did, mm. and mm. it was successful. Mm-hmm. And and um, I gather that I wasn't as aware as as you you were that um, clean elections is not necessarily uniformly embraced by everybody in Maine. And so I heard a term that you introduced to me. What do they call it? And some people call it in Augusta. Uh, welfare w- welfare for legislators, and uh, it could not be further from the truth. Uh-huh. Uh, what do you suppose is behind that cynicism? Um, why do people uh, tr- label it in that fashion? Uh, we have budget issues in the state of Maine, and, and, and that's understandable. And they need every penny that uh, they can come up with okay. to take care of the demand, and you still can't begin to meet the mm-hmm. needs of our People who are in nursing homes and all these, we're short of dollars, okay. and this takes it away. So we, it's it's we, a it's a legitimate concern about where the money comes from. Uh, it is a legitimate right. concern. We right. have been putting away uh, in the vicinity of two million dollars a year into the clean election fund. If you spread that over the million plus people in the state of Maine, mm-hmm. that's less than two dollars per person mm. to help to ensure that we're taking big money out of the government process. Mm, mm. So, uh, yes, go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I'd like to just chime in here a little bit. So I think what we're faced with here is do we have a government that's accountable to everyday voters uh, or do we have a government that has to lean towards the green? And, and, and I mean not <laughs> environmentalists, but I mean big money donors. And so let's face it, when, when large special interest groups make campaign contributions to both Democrats, Republicans, sometimes Greens, and even independents. And then they hire expensive lobbyists to walk the hallways of our state capitol. They increasingly get to call the shots about which legislation is passed and which is not. And so what the clean election system and strong campaign finance laws and limits allow us to do is to ensure that the voices of everyday people are heard first and foremost. The main people enacted this law understanding that that it would cost something, um, but that cost is well worth the price because it means that we have legislators that listen to us. You know, we did some polling around this, and um, 
an overwhelming number of Republicans, Democrats, Greens, and Independents support a strong, clean election system. In recent years, we saw as much as 80 percent of people supporting this law. Um, and so it's, it's an important tradition. It's been the most successful law in the country, and we were the first state to have such a law. And we believe that Maine people want to continue that tradition of fighting for a more true democracy. Uh, Senator Youngblood, you you um, talked a little bit about uh, before the show started about the role of lobbyists, and 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 you described their kind of vital function. R- remind our listeners how a lobbyist plays into um, life in Augusta. Uh, lobbyists are the experts on their particular area of interest, mm. and they help uh, very freely. Uh, legislators, new legislators that would like to put forth uh, legislation on a particular subject to see that that gets done, gets done reasonably, uh, has the questions answered, has the points in it that need to be made, uh, and they are very valuable. Uh, Virtually all the lobbyists know that. The one thing they have that they cannot lose, afford to lose, is their credibility with the legislature. So Mm. they are very honest. Uh, They may not agree with what you're doing, but nonetheless, they will help you do it. So the the rub comes when the, the same organization that might be funding the lobbyists is funding the politician. Then there's a kind of a, um, a kind of a queasy feeling that the, the mm-hmm. legislator might say, well, I'd like to vote for this, but my lobbyist and the organization that gave me some campaign money wants me to vote the other way. You're kind of left, even though it's not conscious, you said it's kind of in the back of your head that you might be swayed. It, it has to be in the back of your mind mm. that says, gee, I got $375 from them in my last election, and when I'm only raising five or 6000 that's an important right. percentage of that. Uh, and if I decide I'm going to run again, I'm going to want to go back to them. Now, can I vote <laughs> the way they want to, or do I? And you, it's easy to say. I wouldn't listen to them. I'd vote the way I need to. But back in the back of your mind, the fact that you, you're going to be looking for, to them in the, in the next year or the next uh, two years from then to say, gee, can I have some more money? Mm. Uh, it gets in the way. It, it's it's back there. Right. So I'm going to um, just remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. And in a few minutes, we'll be um, encouraging folks to give us a call and um, share their experience or their uh, perspectives on the notion of clean elections in Maine. Um, but in the studio with us are Senator Ed Youngblood of Brewer, um, Ann Luther of the Maine League of Women Voters, and by phone, um, Andy Bossie is Executive Director of Maine Citizens for Clean Elections. Um, Andy, you mentioned that um, another aspect of, of uh, the, the proposal that you're making that voters are being asked to consider um, uh, as petition drive and then to vote on in 2015 would be um, reporting. Tell us a little bit more about the, the notion of, of knowing where money is, is coming from that's flowing into elections. Yeah, so there's actually two provisions included in the legislation we're advancing that would create better disclosure so voters so voters have an idea who's spending behind different um, avenues. So right what? now, so just right now, all of us are getting mailings, um, and they're from, they seem like legitimate organizations, but we don't necessarily know who's behind those organizations. I mean, they have nice names. Right, right. They have names like uh, Mainers for Greener Grass or, <laughs> or Maine People for Apple Pie. Like, who doesn't like apple pie and who doesn't want their grass to be green? The problem is, is those entities 
it's not clear who's funding them at the time in which an ad is aired or a mailer arrives at someone's home. So people like Ann and, and me, um, when we get those mailings, we typically run to the computer and uh, look up online who's funding those ads. And it, it, it may be a corporation, it may be a union, it may be some other sort of special interest group or, or a wealthy individual. Um, but the point of the matter is, is voters deserve to know at the very instant that they get an outside ad flashed in front of them, that it's not just apple pie and green grass that we're looking at, but that there is funding coming from particular sources. So this legislation would mean that every ad that's on the TV uh, would list its top three donors um, that have funded that piece. Um, and the same would go for printed ads. And on radio ads, it would list the top funder uh, by, by virtue of the amount of time that's there. So this is going to allow voters at the instance that they see either, their, either these negative mail pieces that are becoming all too commonplace, who is behind the curtain funding this? And then they can make decisions for themselves whether or not they want to think that ad is credible or not. Anne, any comments about what you've seen um, in this election cycle or um, um, over, over the years in terms of the, the influence of this outside money? Well, I mean, the, the research is that people either believe or don't believe those ads the minute they see them, right? So you, if you um, do research and reveal two weeks later that that ad was paid for by somebody that nobody really likes, it's too late. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the sense of the ad has already taken root. The minute they saw it, they decided whether they believed it or not, mm. and you can't unwind that by subsequent investigative reporting. So psychologically, the disclaimer about who's behind that ad has to be broadcast at the time people see the ad, or it doesn't really make any difference. And people who think that the ad is being paid for by dark money are very suspicious of it. If they don't know who it is, they're less likely to believe it. Um, so it's very important to have these disclaimers, you know, put on there at the point of infraction. And, and of course, what's happened since Citizens United in 2010 is that nationwide we've built up this vast infrastructure of money laundering or money sheltering mechanisms through nonprofits and PACs and 527 organizations so that the, org that the original source of the money is way back the daisy chain someplace. And, and because of this infrastructure being built up and um, the quantities of fundraising, we're just seeing a lot more money um, coming even into state races down those channels. So dark money is growing, and we have to find a way to at least let people know who's behind it or that we don't know who's behind it. Right. And you say dark money, that, that's money that we don't know really where it came from. Exactly. Right. And so it's probably likely that this is not lots of $5 contributions that are making up this dark money. It's one contribution of a million. Exactly. Right. Well, I think we have a phone call. Let's go ahead and, and take that phone call. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. If you'd get, like to give us your uh, first name and the town you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, I really appreciate the uh, discussion. Uh, this is John. I'm calling from Bucksport, and uh, I really appreciate the Clean Election um, Bill and law, and I hope that it uh, is extended. But uh, what really needs to be done needs to be done on a national level. And move to amend is the way to do that, to get money out of politics and to get uh, uh, election reform. We have to change the Constitution. So just to put that in your hat and 
let it float. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for your call. Um, other folks can call one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. As we talk about clean elections in Maine, um, uh, first, uh, Anne, uh, uh, comment on that notion of uh, national kinds of issues. I suppose the League of Women Voters is national. Is probably concerned about absolutely. these things. Absolutely, and and um, I I would be the first to agree that we need a new jurisprudence uh, from the Supreme Court in the role of money in politics. Um, you know, lots of us disagreed with the Citizens United ruling. Many of us are seeing flaws in the way Buckley v. Vallejo and money is speech has created, you know, unforeseen um, problems. You know, national reform is absolutely necessary and a new jurisprudence in the money and politics area is required. Lots of ways to go after that, lots of constitutional amendments on the table. Um, You know, some of us support one, some support the other. You know, what we're talking about here though in Maine, is something that we can do right now that's going to affect the next election and that is leading the charge for public financing nationwide. If people see that Maine can do it Mm. um, and people see that Connecticut can do it and Arizona can do it and New York can do it, they're going to think they can do it too. And pretty soon we're going to have a move to have public funding at the national level, which right now is totally stalled. But, you know, we have to continue to push back everywhere we can. Public financing is one of the remedies that is still constitutional, and we have to try to jam that solution into every corner of our campaign finance system that's possible. That's why Maine's leadership on this is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy Bossi, um comments about um, Maine's role and the notion that um, uh, often reform happens because states try something and it works, and an- another state tries it and it works, and, and pretty soon you've got a national um, kind of uh, impetus for that. Yeah, so we here at Maine Citizens for Clean Elections uh, agree that that a constitutional amendment strategy is one that needs to be pursued. Um, we we helped pass a bipartisan uh, resolution that made Maine one of the states calling for such a res- uh, such a constitutional amendment, but we haven't endorsed a specific amendment strategy yet. I guess I would add too is that the number one opponent to uh, reducing the role that money plays in our elections and government is not an organized opposition. It's cynicism. Um, You know, there was a Gallup poll that was released um, some months ago that showed that 96% of Americans believe that money calls the shots in our nation's capital when it comes to important legislation. So the the public clearly has consensus on, on, on that problem. But the same poll also showed that 91% of Americans don't believe anything can be done about the role of money in politics. What we have here in Maine is an opportunity to show that we can and will have a better way, that we will have a more stronger democratic process, and that we can do something about money in politics. I join this work because I believe that we need to build a movement, a movement of people, not just in Maine, but across the nation, that believe that we should have a stronger democracy by reducing the role that money plays in our elections. And I think when we pass this law, once we get these signatures and when we pass this law, it's going to allow other reforms to become possible here in Maine and, like Anne said, other reforms to become possible across the nation and hopefully build to what would be the 28th U.S. Constitutional Amendment that uh, puts the power of our government 
squarely in the hands of people. Uh, Senator Youngblood, you, um, your um, editorial piece in the Bangor Daily News um, really spoke to that notion of, of the, the danger of cynicism that seems to be growing um, about these kinds of issues. And you're so clear about um, we don't need money in politics. We can do it another way. The, uh, it, it's a growing wave uh, of the number of people out there that I run into that say, doesn't make any difference. Uh, I'm not even going to vote in the next election. Mm. And mm. that is an absolute shame. Mm. Mm. So, um, um, Andy Massey, um, another aspect of the um, legislation you're proposing um, has to do with um, increasing the amount of money in the Clean Election Fund. Um, where would that money come from? So that's correct, Ron. We, um, in order to have this strengthened program, unfortunately, the, the legislature has raided the Clean Election Fund several times, um, and uh, we need to ensure that there's the money in place to fund clean elections. So what we've proposed in this legislation, that the legislature look at more than 100 million risky tax breaks that uh, large corporations are getting here in the state. So so, um, and find the money fund clean elections by closing one or more of these loopholes that allow um, basically big corporations to get a, uh, uh, a tax break that has little or no proven economic benefit to the people of the state of Maine. So th- this $100 million in um, different tax expenditures or, or tax loopholes that we're talking about has actually been identified not by us, but by the nonpartisan Office of Program Evaluation and Government Accountability that says there are a number of tax breaks that have no demonstrated benefit to the people of the state of Maine and, and that could be made possible by wealthy campaign contributions and, and lobbyists on the ground in Augusta. So what we're saying is directing the legislature to find one or more tax loopholes, close them, and that would ensure that we have the money to fund our clean election law. So if my math is right, you're talking about 1% of the tax breaks that we're giving now that don't appear to have um, um, real value to the state of Maine. Yeah, around that number. So <laughs> the strength of the system is actually going to cost us around $3 million per oh, okay. year yep. biennium. Okay. Yep. And um, there's, uh, this, would, this would pay, we want this loophole to pay or all of that. Okay. And, um, Ed, is that the red book that you've got there? It is. <laughs> um, Senator Youngblood brought um, the, the red book that um, legislators know well, and that's the, the it's, a, and it's a pretty um, thick book um, of all of the tax breaks that we give. And uh, But, um, Ed, there's some problems with just going into that because everybody seems to say, well, that's my tax break, isn't it? Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> you're right on track. There's no doubt about that. that right. Uh, there was a committee this last year that was given the task of finding $40 million, and they were unable to come to any recommendation whatsoever uh, because of those very reasons of saying uh, uh, people come out of the woodwork. And so I, I think um, that that's, that's a, a topic for another day, and that's tax reform in the state of Maine, and we'll probably come back to that here on Talk of the Towns. You're listening to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about cleaner elections in Maine. Um, on the phone with us is Andrew Bossi, who's executive director of Maine Citizens for Clean Elections, and here in the studio, uh, Senator Edward Youngblood of Brewer and Luther, Maine League of Women Voters, and we would really welcome your phone calls, 1-866-625-9378. Um, what's your opinion about clean elections? 
what's your experience? Uh, are you a legislator that has run on clean elections or perhaps not? Um, do you have a, a story to tell? Uh, 1-866-625-9378 or 469-0500. Um, um, Andrew, before we let you go, um, what's been your experience if you, as you've taken this petition out? Um, what um, do people tell you um, in dialogue when you're asking them to sign? Oh, it's the response has been overwhelming. Um, like I said earlier, people are eager to do something to get money out of politics if presented with an option to do that. And so um, people are uh, at the polls on primary day. Uh, one out of every eight voters signed the petition that went to the polls to vote in June. Um, and what we're actually experiencing is a surge in volunteers right now. We uh, are going to be at these 200 polling locations, and it's about a thousand volunteer shifts of main people taking, um, you know, a couple hours of the entire day that they're devoting to making sure that we get these signatures, um, so we can qualify this initiative and have this discussion about how we need a government that's truly accountable to the voters. Um, so it's been overwhelming, and I'm uh, I'm just so grateful to be part of of this effort. So um, it seems like um, in our com- re- recent conversation about cynicism, the answer, the antidote to cynicism is, oh, here's how you can get involved. Here's how you can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, here in Maine, like if, if that Gallup poll that I mentioned earlier was done here in Maine, because we have a tr- strong uh, tradition of clean elections, and because we have, quote unquote, the citizens legislature and this blue collar legislature I talk about, we know a different path than the, the big money uh, fundraising style that exists within the beltway of, of Washington, D.C. And so I think more people tend to believe here in Maine, more Mainers believe that we can do something about it because we have done something about it in the past. And, uh, yeah, I think people are stepping up, and I think people are going to be really uh, eager to sign this petition when they get to the polls because of all of the surge of money we've seen in this this election. Um, and you must have lots of stories about um, the role of, of the League of Women Voters um, giving people an option to cynicism, um, uh, 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 getting involved, getting saying, I can make a difference. That's our whole, our whole history. And, um, you know, the, the franchise has grown so much from the founding of our country. We now have virtually universal suffrage. Um, there's n- nothing that would be uh, more of a shame than to be too cynical to vote in this election because your voice is your vote. And so we, first of all, really want everybody to get out and vote right. on November 4th. But more than that, to participate in, in public policy, to participate in government, to participate at their community level, to join a volunteer effort like this. Here in Hancock County and Washington County, we're still looking for volunteers at the polls. So if people are interested in helping this effort, they can go to the maincleanelections.org and there's a place for them to sign up as volunteers, and we would really welcome them to the effort. Mm. Um, uh, Senator Youngblood, you you um, uh, had a, 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 a path that, that led you into the legislature. Um, what would you say to a young person who might, like in, in uh, Jamie McCown's class, saying, I can't get involved. It's, there's too much money. I, I'm, I'm daunted by the notion of raising money. What would you say to a young person who um, might have um, a desire but um, is worried about money? They get out, talk to people, Mm. and ask them what it is they'd like out of their representative. Mm. What would you like to see done in Augusta? What would you like to see changed? And uh, 
you go from there and <laughs> find that after you've knocked on the first half a dozen doors, those are the tough ones. Mm-hmm. After that, it gets easier every day. Mm. So that um, that you you start with conversations, basically. Absolutely right, right. I'll, uh, we've got a conversation going. We hope um, with our listeners one eight six six. Six two five nine three seven eight. Give us a call um, to give us your experience or perhaps your questions about clean elections in Maine or cleaner elections in Maine. How can we make um, elections um, cleaner um, without that dark money that uh, Ann Luther spoke about uh, a minute ago? And what would you add to um, the overall um, discussion at this point? Um, the the, uh, um, the People have an opportunity to participate both by voting, but also by helping with these uh, petitions or signing the petitions. Um, where where does someone find out about some of this information? If they wanted to read something, are there websites to go to? Are there places to go to find out more? Well, I'll mention again, www.maincleanelections.org is MCCE's website and all the information any, anybody could want about the initiative drive, the petition itself, what the law says, uh, where to volunteer, all that is there. They can also go to the league's website, lwvme.org, and find similar information. Um, For people's information, just to plug the league for a minute, we do have an easy-to-read voter guide out this year that helps people figure out how to vote, where to vote, how to get absentee ballots, and runs through candidates for all the statewide and federal offices, as well as the... um, the bond and ballot questions that are on the ballot this year. So if people are looking for voter information, the league's website is also a good resource. Mm. But I, I, I direct people on this effort and the Money in Politics one to maincleanelections.org. It's got everything you could possibly want to know. Mm. Um, the league has recently conducted, I'm sure throughout the state, but um, in our area as well, um, some um, candidate forums. Mm-hmm. Um, have clean elections come up in, in those forums? They have. And, um, you know, we, we've seen candidates from both parties, independents, Greens, Republicans, Democrats, all supporting clean elections, all on the side of, um, you know, less money in politics, more voices for voters. So that came up at a couple of the forums and prominently at two in particular. And, um, you know, I mean, we've seen candidates say that with clean elections, if they had enough money in their clean elections program to run a very vigorous race in a very competitive election with clean elections money only, and I've seen this done, they can go to their party and say, stay out of my race. Uh, I don't need you. Right. Okay. I, I have enough money to run a clean race. Don't come in here because my voice, I want my my candidacy to be about me and my views, not a surrogacy for somebody else. So I really hope that if we have a strong and vigorous program, again, candidates will take that into their own hands and ask the surrogates to stay out. Mm. Um, Senator Youngblood, um, you mentioned that your your first candidate or your first opponent um, um, raised around thirty thirty five thousand dollars. Um, it probably is up to forty five or fifty thousand dollars for yes. Where does that money go? Just give it n- not detailed, but just um, how how might you as a candidate um, spend that kind of money? Where would it go? Newspapers, or television? <clears throat> what would you do? The uh, I did. I did not spend any on television. Okay. I did. I did radio uh-huh. uh, mailers, uh, pieces that go to direct constituents, uh, maybe to the hunting group, maybe to uh, the young group, uh, and so you could target each, those mailings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so mailings, and I suppose roadside signs, and and those kinds of things. The I would go through uh, approximately fifteen hundred signs. Okay. Uh, because. 
it's a big district you were. It, it, it is. There are 22 communities in this district that I represent, and it only takes a few storms like we had this weekend uh, to do a job on all of those signs. So you have to have, um, and, and, and what was your um, connection to volunteers? I'm, I'm sure that um, you and your wife didn't do it all. You probably had volunteers to help you as well. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, tried to find uh, someone and did manage to find someone in, in virtually every community mm-hmm. to be my ears in that community. What's going on? Uh, is there a bean supper uh, at a local church this weekend in Mariahville or wherever it may have been. And uh, you, you can't do it alone. You, you, mm. you do need to put together an organization. Mm. And so um, Ann was, was uh, n- noting that if we had um, a strong um, uh, clean elections campaign and each candidate who was running as a clean election candidates had an adequate resource, um, it's your feeling that you could spend that money wisely and be effective as a candidate. That is correct. Mm -hmm. And to be effective, it's not just the money. Money is absolutely an essential part of it. You must take the time to go out and knock on doors and look people in the eye Mm -hmm. and get them to believe that they can trust you to make decisions for them. Mm -hmm. And the more doors you knock on, uh, you substantially increase your chances. There Mm -hmm. have been numerous people I know uh, one back a few years ago in Bangor that spent $150,000 and thought he could do it strictly through the mails, buying TV, buying radio, and was not elected. Uh-huh. And so that's really another answer to cynicism. <laughs> um, if you can look at your um, your elected officials in the eye and have a conversation about them, you know them. I, mean, I think it's probably harder as you get to the national level. You're not going to have as many opportunities to, to, to interact with those folks. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So one eight six six. Everybody's out um, getting ready for the elections. I'm sure one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. We have time for a phone call or two. Um, give us a call here on, on Talk of the Towns as we talk about cleaner elections um, in Maine. Um, the, uh, the the polls will be um, November fourth. Um, you'll have uh, uh, folks collecting uh, signatures on um, petitions for Maine clean elections. And Andy Bossy, what, what else would you add? What would you want listeners to know um, this morning about um, this petition drive? So there's another component of uh, this petition of this legislation that we propose that is really important in terms of disclosure, and it's it's a disclosure loophole so to speak. Um, Currently, any governor-elect, so this is after the governor is voted on, he or she is is been voted by the public to serve, there's a period between the election and when the governor actually sits uh, as governor that um, he or she is building a committee to pay for the transition and inaugural costs associated with getting that administration up and running because so right now the, the 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 voters or the public doesn't pay for that um that's the um the the candidate basically the, the successful candidate for governor right right and the problem is is that all that money is being fundraised from from special interest groups from wealthy individuals from all kinds of different sources but none of it is disclosed mm-hmm. and, and this is a critical point for the governor it's not a debate who's going to be governor. We know who the governor is going to be. And before he sits in that role, he and his team of people, or her and her team of people, are raising unlimited sums of money 
from anyone and everyone they wish, whether they're a Mainer or someone else, and the public has no understanding, has no recourse to even understand who is this person raising from, and is there ties to legislation that might be coming before the governor's death that this funder of these transition costs might have a stake in. And, and the, so the amount, I'm sorry, I was just going to butt in, I think the amounts can be quite substantial. So this is a way that um, <coughs> that people with an agenda seek to influence the executive of the state, and it's without limit and it's totally undisclosed. So the bill that, that we're proposing here would require no limits, but it would require full disclosure of mm-hmm. the source and amounts of all that money. Mm. So the, the, the again, another answer to cynicism is transparency. Right. <laughs> if we know um, how money is flowing, at least we have some sense. And the other point that you raised, Dan, was that if we know at the point um, that an ad, we see an ad um, or get a mailer, who's behind it, at least we can say, okay, I, I think I know why that source is doing what what they're doing, and there may be some bias in the information I'm reading. So that that, that is an answer to cynicism is is to get that information out and clear. Absolutely. Mm. Um, um, Andy Bossy, any any final comments as we begin to wrap up this morning? You know, I, I think um, regardless of what the issues are that uh, everyone cares about, if you care about education, if you care about the environment, if you care about health care, if you care about reducing government spending. I think this issue, this issue of, of who our elected officials are, are accountable is paramount to that, to those other issues being addressed. If we want the voices of us, the voters, heard loudly and clearly, if we want a government that's truly of, by, and for the people, we've got to have a campaign finance system that puts the voters first. And uh, I'm excited about, about the work that we're doing here, of course, and, and partnering with folks like the League of Women Voters um, to create that environment where we can have debates on the issues that main people care about and that their voices are heard in Augusta. So it, it's exciting to be here. I really appreciate you having me on the, the show, Ron. And uh, it's exciting to be working with so many main people to uh, create that more perfect government. Well, thanks for being with us, and thanks for all your good work um, with Maine Citizens for Clean Elections. Thanks for being with us, Andy. Thank you. Um, Andrew Bossy is the Executive Director of the Maine Citizens for Clean Elections. We've come to that time when we're almost done, but I'll give the last couple of words to uh, um, uh, Anne and then to um, Senator Youngblood. What's your hope for the future, Anne, in terms well, of this issue? Well, just very, very quickly, we all get one vote, and I hope we all exercise that vote, but we are not all represented with the same vigor once our candidates take office, and this is a fight for political equality so that we are all represented with the same vigor, and I hope everybody will pitch in and help. And your final thoughts on this uh, topic this morning, um, Senator Youngblood? Yeah. If you believe in liberty, if you believe in individual responsibility, if you want a government that's accountable to its citizens, then get out and sign this petition uh, over this fall. Uh, This petition is not going to automatically put things in place. Everyone will get a chance to vote on it in 2015. Great. Thanks so much. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. 
Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Baumlane House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests this morning, um, Ann Luther, Main League of Women Voters, uh, Senator Edward Youngblood of Brewer, uh, Jamie McCown of College of the Atlantic, and Andrew Bossi of Maine Citizens for Clean Elections. Uh, thanks to those of you who listened and called in. Uh, thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.